Welcome to Leverage Masters, airing weekly on Tuesdays at 12 Eastern and on demand on iTunes and Blog Talk Radio. Leverage Masters hosts Jack Humphrey and Gina Gaudio Graves discuss leverage strategy with guest leveragists. Be sure to subscribe to Leverage Masters in your favorite podcatcher for great tips and case studies on using leverage to achieve your biggest goals much faster. Well, welcome everyone to another episode of Leverage Masters. I am your co-host, Gina Gaudio-Grace. I'm the co-founder of Divisio, that's D-U-V-I-S-I-O.com, the affiliate network for companies doing good. We have Andrea Adams-Miller from the Red Carpet Connection joining us as a co-host as well. Hello, Andrea. Hi, how are you, Gina, today? I am good, and you? I am hunky-dory. Just had my hair done, feeling good, looking good. All things are well. And where are you in the world today? (laughs) Well, today I'm at home, and uh, tomorrow I'll be in Baltimore, Maryland, and then um, in in the evening I'll be at the Internet Marketers Party with David Rodriguez in Austin, and then over the weekend I'll be at um, Manny Chat, conversations and uh that's uh the uh, the bot that people use for their websites that's um been just really doing phenomenally the last two years and then i'm going back to baltimore to do my own event on publicity and connections on monday night so um and then after that i'm heading to st louis so lots of fun things going on Holy cow! I'm tired of just listening to all of that. Wow! Oh, you know what? And I and I forgot of something. I, our guest. I'm gonna go see him tomorrow night on my way to Baltimore. <laughs> oh, fantastic! Well, why don't you tell everyone about our guest? I will. You know, it's so. I just got introduced to him, and he is just really awesome. He brings a rare breath of. Um, of experience and credentials to to the world to the table you know he's he's an author a speaker entrepreneur a visionary and and really you know everybody's been saying that his insight has steered literally thousands of people to live their vision now rather than thinking someday or someday later I'm going to do it. And he's really a key and, and a leading voice of, of what life coaching should be. You know, he's a coach's coach, if you if you will. You know, his ability to break a business down. By the way, his name is Chuck Bauman. I should have said that. Chuck's uh, ability to break a business down and reconstruct it to be more efficient and productive is absolutely legendary amongst those who have experienced the process. And so He's really helping people take, you know, deep dives into their life and to make things so much better, cut through propaganda and get to the essence of what's legendary. Um, he has certifications in Lean, Six, uh, Six Sigma, Project Management, Quality and Production and Inventory Management, and so many more things. He's um, also a combat veteran, a cancer survivor, and an Ironman. He's just relentless in his study of human behavior and neuroscience. And if I kept talking about all the things that I have heard about him, the show would be over. So let's just bring him on. Chuck Bauman, uh, thank you so much for joining us and being here. And uh, I can't wait to show everybody who you are. Well, well I, appreciate that wonder- I appreciate that wonderful introduction. 
How are you, ladies? You're welcome. I'm fantastic, Gina. <laughs> Gina, did you get I your hair awesome done? I am awesome as your... well. Yeah, are you going to just No, you know, I feel just. I didn't get my hair done. It's a mess. <laughs> well, luckily we're on the radio, so it's okay. Thank goodness, Chuck. Thank goodness for that. <laughs> well, um, it's, uh, I met Chuck through Ben Adler. Uh, ben Adler is a young man who is now um, working with me at the Red Carpet Connection and, and coming in as a partner. Um, he's an independent uh, contractor, but he's really been instrumental in helping me do some really powerful things um, in our quest to make sure that we provide excellent cost, customer service and publicity and sponsorship. And he said, I really want you to meet one of my mentors, Chuck. And I said, absolutely. So we hop on the phone. Things have been just amazingly awesome. I'm so excited to meet you, Chuck, and hear about you. So, um, you know, I, I hadn't mentioned a life in there yet. And so uh, why don't you tell us, like, well, first of all, start, like, with who you are and how you even got to be doing that and what you do beyond that. So I um... – so I met a guy in 2009. Um, I was going through a divorce. Um, I was broke. Uh, I should say I was broken, maybe, uh, more than just broke. I was in debt, a lot of debt, going through an ugly divorce. My relationships were bad. My health was bad. My income was dropping. I met a guy and his partner uh, at the back of a room at a seminar that I had taken my son to. And he asked me if I wanted, uh, after we spoke a little bit, he asked me if I wanted to join a group called Life and Air. And uh, I asked him, I said, I, I don't know what that term is, but I love it. And he said, well, it's like a millionaire, except that instead of having a lot of money, we have a lot of life. And so I joined in 2009. And um, what we're going to talk about today was really the genesis of, of my transformation uh, from a broken individual into uh, what I consider one of the most blessed lives possible today. Uh, and I guess that's only been 10 years, actually. It's kind of crazy that it would have all taken place in that in a 10-year period of time. But So Life in Air is, is basically a, an organization that believes in three pieces of life. Uh, have a written vision for your life. Have a coach and um, belong to a mastermind. And, uh, you know, the, the term mastermind was originally used by Napoleon Hill. And um, I feel like a lot of people use the term mastermind today, and I go to a lot of masterminds myself. Uh, mastermind in the way I use it, I like to use Napoleon Hill's original uh, meaning of the word, in that what I mean is a group of individuals pouring into each other and listening and uh, the group stays together for a long period of time. I don't mean 25 people going to a class and one person talking and calling it a mastermind. We believe in a real mastermind. So that started the beginning of my journey was to, uh, in 2009, get my vision written. Excuse me. Get, uh, get some 
get get a coach, which I had never I had done coaching before, uh, but I'd never really been involved in a coaching program uh, linked to a vision, uh, and so it was a very different process for me. I'd been in coaching before. I had actually coached people, but always generally around a specific goal. And this was much more focused on the vision about getting a life. And uh, so that was unique for me. So 2009, I was, as I said, broken. Uh, And by 2013, I was in really good shape. Uh, I was getting ready to climb Mount Whitney. Uh, I had gotten in good condition. My health was good. My blood work was all green. Uh, I had paid off most of my debt. My relationships had gotten good. My financial security had been better. And uh, The last thing on my bucket list was to climb Mount Whitney, which is the uh, highest peak in the 48 states. So I climbed Mount Whitney, and um, I had a sore throat right before we went to climb. And to make a, since we don't have a lot of time today, to make the story really short, when I got home, I found out I had cancer. And so I literally rewrote a vision of me beating cancer. I hired an oncologist, which is basically a coach, and I got a mastermind of people that had been through the same cancer as myself. And I used the same technique that I used to put my life back together to beat cancer. And uh, I'm proud to say that in 2014, April of 2014, I was cancer-free. Congratulations. Yeah, so that's a really short version of my story. There's a lot more detail in there, but I'll say this. I believe that if I had not started in 2009 to get my life together, in 2013 I would have died. Because I believe that the broken man that started writing his vision in 2009, started living the life he should be living, found some support group, you know, had a coach, two coaches actually. If I don't make that transition from 2009 to 2013, I don't survive the diagnosis. I mean, honestly, the the guy that I was before I started down this road of self-development and, and improvement, he didn't have the energy to make it through the day, much less fight cancer. So what happened when I found out that I had cancer was I was in good shape. My health was otherwise good. My financial situation was secure. I rebuilt relationships. I had a tremendous support system. So beating cancer was my sole focus for those four or five or six months. And so I just used the same process that I had used to get my life together to beat the cancer. And I can tell you that I believe sitting here today that I would not be alive if I had not written that vision of beating cancer because the vision I wrote was that I would use my cancer as a vehicle to get people to focus on having a life and doing the things that they know they need to do. And so I believe that cancer was a blessing for me. I believe it may have been the best thing that ever happened to me. 
I don't say that without some consideration of that. I've thought about it a lot, and it's probably by far the number one blessing I've had in my life was to survive cancer. It has given me a, a foothold in to tell my story and then help other people realize that they can have the life that they want today. Um, I lost 58 pounds of muscle during my radiation treatment. And so uh, I did the same process a third time. I wrote a vision of me getting back in condition. And uh, (laughs) uh, I decided that the shape that I wanted to get in was to run a half Ironman. And so a half Ironman is a 1.2 mile swim, a 66 mile bike ride, and a 13.1 mile run all in an eight and a half hour time limit. So that was the goal I set um, in order to get back into shape. And I did it the same way. I wrote a vision. I got a coach. I hired the one of the best triathlon coaches in the country. And um, I joined what's called the master's group, which was a mastermind of older gentlemen that run the triathlons. And um, I'm I'm proud to say that in uh, 2016, I completed a half Ironman in Austin, Texas. And uh, so that's the short version of my story. Well, thank you for that. <laughs> Thank you. Uh well I'll start and then um and then Gina I'll have you jump in. Um I'll start with one. You know when uh you know hearing your story of uh being broken and then you know finding a, a way and an opportunity through life and air uh to you know to get yourself back on board when you were going through that. As you were going through that, you know a lot of times people have a vision that in going through it, it, it um, once you're processing it, that it's simple and easy and that you can keep going. And I'm sure you had other uh, days along the way where you felt like quitting or, oh, this isn't for me or this isn't going to work. And um, how did you get through those um, obstacles along the way that kept wanting to pull you back into the despair you were in before? So, you know, it's interesting um, I talk about three pieces uh, being the key. And there were days, uh, what I was told to do is just write my vision out, what I wanted, and then, you know, uh, we go through a process of vision writing. I mean, I'm sure most people can find a vision writing a workshop out there. And um, you know, I was told to envision what I wanted. And there were days when just having the vision was enough to pull me out of that and to put me back. Um, I'm a little slower than most, so I got to tell you, I have to read my vision more than once a day to remind myself what's important because I'm the kind of person who uh, gets distracted, and um, I find that reading my vision multiple times a day had a significant impact on reminding me that, you know, what's important in my life. It's funny. The other thing I would say is having someone I could call, a coach, who knew what I had written and what I really wanted and what I struggled with and someone that I had shared my uh, struggles with, 
I was able to call and just some, if I just needed to vent, I could say, Hey, I just need to vent. Here's what's happening. And then, uh, if I needed some coaching, they would coach me through that. And the third thing was I had a support group who also had the same coach as me. So the mastermind group, they all had the same coach. And so they knew my vision as well. They knew what my struggles were. We, we all kind of full for each other. We were all accountable to each other. So I would say it wasn't one thing that got me through. It was, it was on different days, it was different pieces. Sometimes the vision was enough. Sometimes the coach was enough. Sometimes just having a support group of people that I could call that I knew were struggling or had been through the same struggles as I who would, you know, prop me up and tell me I was going to be okay. Uh, but I think any one of those things by itself is probably insufficient. You really need all of that to change from being, uh, I don't want to describe what I think. I think of that old life and it's hard for me to believe I was that guy, but that guy really struggled with everything. And, uh as you begin to build a life around what you really, really want, as you begin to be intentional about that, there are days, like you say, when you slip back and it's a slippery slope, feeling sorry for yourself. I call it memorized emotions. I feel like mm. the old Chuck was uh, a crabby, uh, irritable, arrogant man and I feel like he had been that for so long he'd been in that mindset for so long that when he woke up in the morning he remembered that that's who he was and and I feel like the brain just dumped the right peptides it dumped the right chemicals sent all the neurotransmitters and said hey today we're going to be crabby and irritable and uh, arrogant and uh, and I think Every morning I, I live that. And the process of having a vision of being someone else, of having hope that I could become a man with more integrity, a better communicator, someone who actually was happy and had joy in his life, the, the possibility of that takes a long time. Um, if I ask you today what seven times seven is, you would know that answer quickly, right? Yes, I would. If, yeah, so if I ask you what's 7 times 70, it would take a tenth of a second longer. And the Correct. reason would be because you had to go two places in your brain. You had a path to where 7 times 70 is stored, and you know the rule of tens, but you have to pull both those into short-term memory and combine them to know the answer. But if I ask you, what is 97 times 113? It's going to take you a while. Yeah, I need paper. <laughs> yeah. But my point is, I believe I could get back on this call on the show a month from now, and you could know the answer to 97 times 113 as fast as you knew 7 times 7. Okay. But you would need a flashcard. Right? Because uh -huh. that's how you learn seven times seven. Well, if you think about it, we 
we teach people, we tell people, just get on a new path. Well, when you walk on an old path, there's no briars. There's nothing in your way. People have walked it before. It's easy. When you get on a new path, it takes energy. And the same thing is true we know of the brain. The way your brain builds neural pathways is through repetition. It's through Mm -hmm. putting energy into building that path. So if you know what you want to be, who you want to be, you can't just think at one time. You have to overcome years and years of programming. And all the marketing messages that we hear every day tell us that we need to have a bigger house, that we need to that we're not sexy enough if we don't use the right toothpaste, that if you don't drive the right kind of car, <laughs> people aren't going to like you. And you get, you got all that bad information in your head, and it's programmed over and over and over. You sit down and say, I want to be a man of integrity. I want to be in shape. I want to set these goals. But you only, you only say that one time. You have no chance of staying on that path. So I believe that a written vision is simply a flashcard to the future you want. And I, I honestly believe, I know it sounds like pixie dust and unicorn horn, but it is as simple as writing your vision out and then beginning to read it. I, I have mine recorded in my own voice. I listen to it when I'm in my truck. I read it multiple times a day. I have it laminated. I have it blown up on a poster that's three foot by four foot beside my bed. When I swing my feet around in the morning and my feet hit the floor, the first thing I see is my vision on the wall of what the life I want to have. And what. And so to me, that's my flashcard to the future. And I believe that's, that's one of the critical steps to being able to seriously change your life is to learn how to use the neuroscience that we know today in your favor. And, and the vision has clearly evolved into that in my mind as a tool. It's my flashcard is the way I like to think of it. Does that make sense? It does. Gina, did you want to respond to that as well? That really does make sense to me as well. And, you know, like you, I had a very long-term health issue wasn't cancer. I was involved in a car accident in 96. A year later, we had no choice but to have a four-level spinal fusion, which resulted in a resistant strain of staph getting into my spine as well as the nerve roots. And that triggered a 10-year-long illness with over 50 operations, $9.9 million worth of medical bills. It was a mess for those 10 years. And in January of 2005, The doctors gave me just 12 to 18 months to live. I later had a complete and total miracle and totally recovered. And when I look back on it and look at the outcome of that illness, as long as I could come out with the wisdom I came out with, I would do it all all over again, no matter how painful, no matter how inconvenient, no matter what it did to my life. I am so grateful because the life lessons I learned from it were so gigantic. And it's impacted not only my life, but the lives of every person I touch. And I'm sure the same is true for you, Chuck, right? Yes. I would, Gina, I'm so glad you said that. 
you know, it's not even uh, – I try to get my students to see that every obstacle is an opportunity to grow. Every obstacle is a blessing. No one grows when everything is perfect. That's not what right. happens. It's when yeah. you're stressed. It's when you're in the waves. It's when things are crashing around you that you learn who you are. It's no, you know, people used to tell me I was brave, Gina. I'm like, brave would be to choose this. I didn't choose this. I'm just fighting the battle. You know what I mean? I used to say the exact same thing, Chuck, exact same thing, because I was told the same as you. Oh, you're so brave. Well, I'm only brave if I chose this, and I didn't choose this. Right. This is, but now I see it as when things, like right now I have uh, my jaws swollen, I can't open my mouth, so it's difficult to eat socially uh, because I have radiation poisoning in my right jaw where the uh, cancer treatment killed the muscle. And so, you know, well, here's the thing. Don't feel sorry for me. It's teaching me every day new humility. It's teaching me every day new things. You know what I mean? I love it. Absolutely. I'm so glad I I have it. I know I'm going to uh, either be And the bigger the obstacle, the bigger the lesson that comes from it, right? That's that's right. I'm not scared of it. I'm either going to beat it or I'm going to learn how to deal with it in in a way that no one else deals with it. You know, most people that have this become recluses. I'm not going to be that. I'm going to be on stage talking about it. I'm going to yeah, I'm going to help people that have it to learn to deal with it. And I'm it's going to be just another part of my story that shows that it doesn't matter what happens to you. You can be peace in your heart. You can have joy in any moment. You don't beat cancer by living. You beat cancer by how you live while you're alive. You and I don't get to choose when it ends. You didn't get to Mm, choose when, when your journey with your injury and all of your operate. You didn't get to choose when that ended. But you did get to choose how you lived while you were in it. And people watch Absolutely. You. And, you know, they really I, was already a, I was already a coach when I found out I had cancer. <clears throat> so I had a lot of students who had heard me preach that happiness is a decision, that your mindset is all that matters. And all the things that I teach and believe with all my heart that I had said to hundreds of people, if not thousands. And now all of a sudden, everyone knows I have cancer. So when you're in that position, you know that you have to set the example of how you deal with this. And that helped me so much because I knew I wanted to be an example of how I can be joyful, how I can be happy in the middle of this terrible thing. You know, it wasn't fun. It was brutal. And uh, as David, if David Goggins says, if it doesn't suck, we don't do it. And, and it sucked. It sucked to have cancer. And I'm sure your 10 years was no walk in the park. But like you no, said, it wasn't. you learned so much through it. And Absolutely. You know, one of the things, 
one of the things that I share with people today that I feel like it, 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 it has created who I am. I don't have time to waste. I don't want to waste time. I want right. to have the life I want. I want to have what I want, and I want to have it now. I don't want to wait because I realize that waiting, you can, you can make more money, but you don't get your time back. So I'm very intentional about who I spend time with, how I spend that time. You know, I feel like people people waste so much time not working towards what they say they want because they're just not paying attention. True. I believe most I believe most of us run on subconscious. You know, when first time you learned to drive, you really had to concentrate on all the controls and the, the mirrors and looking and braking. And now you drive somewhere and you don't even remember getting there because you were texting and eating and five other things. Well, who drove the car? <laughs> well, you did. But you did it on subconscious. And I feel <laughs> like I feel like so many people are just sleeping through their lives. You know, they eat. They say, I'm going to eat differently. And that's a conscious decision. As soon as they get to the restaurant, they're distracted by their friends, and their subconscious orders the same thing it always orders because we've trained it to do that. Mm-hmm. So, many, so many students come to me with confidence issues, and I believe their confidence is eroded by the fact that they lie to their subconscious every day. They tell their subconscious, tomorrow I'm going to get up and go to the gym, and they don't. They tell her subconscious, tomorrow I'm going to eat salads, and they don't. They say, tomorrow I'm going to rebuild a relationship, and they don't. Now, if they told you they were going to meet you at the gym, they would be there because they have integrity with everyone around them. But they don't have integrity with themselves and their subconscious. Mm. And I believe that erodes your confidence. When you can't trust yourself to do what you say you're going to do, your confidence gets eroded and you become fearful that others are going to find out that you're not who you say you are. And when you reverse that and you begin, if you write it in your vision and you start to read it and you start to do it, I say, I'm going to go to the gym. I go to the gym. I say, I'm going to eat right. I eat right. I say, I'm going to read a book. I read a book. As you begin to build that confidence in yourself, you begin to see the power that you have to control your life and to live intentionally. And this is one of the reasons that having a coach is so beneficial. I read an article a few years ago that said less than 2% of all human beings honor commitments they've made to themselves. And I see that all the time. I think it's even lower than 2%. Part of the role of the coach is to help you hold yourself accountable to yourself so that when you make a commitment to yourself, you really do honor it in the same way that you do when you make a commitment to someone else. If that's Mm -hmm. all you get out of working with a coach, it is so valuable, isn't it, Chuck? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) So I have – I see people – I I literally had a gentleman who had no integrity with himself. 
And I said, let's just set a simple goal for the next four months and see what happens. And he was like, man, I'm telling you, I I can't, I really can't push myself to do anything. I said, well, could you just take a shower every night for four months? Would that be too much? And he said, no. And so a month in, I said, how are we doing? He goes, man, dude, I've taken a shower every night. And you know what? I've worked out three times last week and, you know, this is going better and this is going better. I said, man, just focus on the shower. Don't focus on anything else. And at the end of four months, he had lost weight. He was in better shape. He had saved more money. He had, he had built some relationships. And I believe all because his confidence was better because he was hitting that one thing that we said we would focus on. So is that, you know, do I attribute his success in that four months to my coaching? I think not to my coaching, but by having someone watch him, he committed, he felt more committed, and then he did it. And yep. that simple t- task that he completed paid dividends in all other areas of his life. Very effective. Absolutely. Hi. Go ahead, Andrea. Oh, you know, when, you know, hearing you talk about um, the the changes you made in embracing the discomfort that comes with cancer or the discomfort that comes in changing a new pathway led me to uh, recall um, recently I've been reading a lot of information on neuroplasticity as well, and I was seeing how it was telling us to get away from doing the things that we've learned. So it's, I, I have a new theory. Um, I think my kids in a way are smarter um, and independent because I would, yes, get them in a little bit of a pattern to learn things, but we were constantly challenging them to create new patterns because of the way we lived our lives. We were very busy people. We traveled a lot. We were in theater. We did things. So the kids every day had to re-figure out how they were going to do things. And now um, what I'm reading, it's saying that when you start, um, once you start into that pattern so much that other parts of your brain die because it um, – it doesn't have to think anymore about those things. So it tells you to do things like uh, brush your teeth in a different direction and, or use a different hand or, you know, do something different to do it. Or, um, you know, so I literally have been doing things like um, I'll brush my teeth in the kitchen and with the wrong hand, I'll you know to, to use a different kind of a toothbrush, one that's electric or something, just shifting up my patterns of how I do everything every day. So that way there's something new and I'm constantly keeping these neural pathways open. And I wondered what your thoughts were on that with a neuroplasticity work you've been doing you know i i i do the same thing i i literally do something every day that makes me extremely uncomfortable uh because i feel like success today requires you to be comfortable in uncomfortable situations and whether that's making a cold call whether that's knocking on a door whether that's admitting that i was wrong to someone that I love, mm. it, those are all uncomfortable situations, right? And yeah. you, you know this. The neuroscience shows that practice, practicing being uncomfortable makes you better at it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there, there are just situations where I'm not going to be comfortable. 
it's not comfortable writing with your left hand. It's not mm-hmm. comfortable sh- shaving in a different pattern. It's shocking to me how hard my brain holds on to things I don't care about. Um, <laughs> I have a 1953 research study that you flash uh, four cards on the screen, and you might have seen this, flash four cards on the screen, and people write down what four cards they saw. And it, I'm going to okay. say it's one thousandth of a second. And then you double that to two one thousandths, and you have them write down the four cards they saw. And then you okay. double it again, and I think you double it again. So they get four shots at it. And they, everybody mm-hmm. in the room basically knows two cards, and nobody really gets the other two. And I've seen it done over and over and over. Uh, Joel Barker did it in a video called uh, Paradigms, I think. Anyway, uh, the trick here is that one of those cards is the Ace of Spades, but it's red. So it's the wrong color. One of those is the Two of Clubs, but it's the wrong color, right? So the two that are the correct color your brain perceived on the first pass and everybody in the room got it. The other three passes, your brain doesn't process those cards into your short-term memory because they're the wrong color. And your brain has a rule, a rule about what color cards should be. Now, I don't care what color cards are, or at least I don't think I do. But you can't (laughs) see the cards. You can't see the data that doesn't support the view you already have of the world. So you literally can't see those cards. It's not that you, your brain saw them and flushed them. It refuses to see them. So you can see two of the cards clearly, but the other two never make it into your, never make it into processing. And to me, that is, that's what we have to overcome. That's what you're doing with your children. You're trying to teach them don't have rules about how the world works unless you intentionally know they're valid. Mm. You know, I don't need a rule about what color cards are. (laughs) Uh, But I hear people say things all the time that I feel like are rules in their heads that are just wrong. I hear people say, uh, I will share with you guys. uh, I just had an amazing experience with one of my coaches, the guy that coaches me. His name is Jack Lanham. He's a 71 year old, man who's in amazing shape he's a 10th degree kung fu grandmaster and uh, Mm. I said something about not being able to remember numbers and he said to me why would you say that and I knew it as soon as I said it you know what I mean I heard it in my own head you're like ah yeah yeah he said that's not true I said and you know you try to just even if you're a coach you still try to justify your limiting beliefs when you hear them yeah I said well well some people have more you know it's easier for some and he said that's not true he said sit down here chuck <laughs> i'm going to help you structure your mind in a way that you can remember numbers so um sat down he taught me a way to think about remembering numbers, a little story that I remember pretty bit, pretty well. And uh, he taught me some memory pegs for numbers. And I'm sure a lot of people on the uh, show can have saw memory techniques before. He taught me some. 
then he gave me a 30-digit number, one digit at a time. And I remembered it forwards and backwards and first number, last number, second number, second from last, third number, third from last. Worked my way into the, I, I remembered it after hearing it one time. And it took him 45 minutes to teach me that. So That's interesting. Well, to me, it's a perfect example of a limiting belief that simply isn't true. But because I didn't know what I don't know, I carry around with me this thought that I can't remember numbers. And then he teaches mm. me how to remember numbers. And now I feel like I'm like a superhuman at remembering numbers. Well, what's the only thing that changed in that 45 minutes he spent with me? My brain didn't change. I mean, you can make the argument that I didn't build neural pathways in 45 minutes, right? What changed in that? (laughs) Well, what changed was a mental model, right? He gave me a mental model of the way the world could work. And because mm-hmm. I remember the model, and because I've practiced it since then, now I have neural pathways to the model, and I know how to use it. And Makes sense. It's a mindset shift first before anything else. Now I believe I can remember numbers. I've taught, I'm, I don't know how many people to do the same thing now, just to see if I could teach it. Cool. Well, they always say that once you teach it, then you're even better at remembering it. And that always works for me. If I, if I become the teacher of the information I have, then I am able to synthesize it in my mind in such a way that I can regurgitate it in a way that makes more sense um, because it's made connections to what I'm talking about, and then I can connect it to somebody else. And uh, so that's pretty amazing. Gina, did you want to say anything? I didn't want to keep you from talking. No, go ahead. I'll jump in okay. I promise. <laughs> okay, cool. And, um, you know, one of the things I thought about you was saying that with numbers is frequently I meet people who say that they uh, can't remember names. And I said, um, and I said, well, you probably can if you stop saying you can't. <laughs> you know, right. And then I, I usually right. teach them how, how to remember my name because there is a certain way to remember it that makes it easier. And, um uh, we, you and I just recently, you know, met on the phone, and I told you I'm going through landmark courses, and one of the distinctions right. that has been really, um, really helping me change my life is the um, almost always listening is like the way that we listen to people. Um, it's like it's like almost always you have this thought in your head, and so no matter what the person says or what the person does, you have this automatic response to this is who they are and this is what they mean and this is what they're saying and 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 so we never even give them a chance to be because we've already determined what they are and we do that with our families and especially in our friends so when those people have changed and adapted we don't see them as who they currently are we see them as how we remember that they used to be and so we react to them that way and so then we can't then we have so much more communication miscommunication because we we no longer hear them for face value of what they're saying because we already have determined what what their answers are you know 
So, Andrea, I will tell you, one of the things that I teach my students who want to become coaches is that listening is the most powerful coaching tool available to any coach. That if you'll just listen with no intent to judge and to try to flush all that stuff out that you just talked about, people Mm -hmm. will feel listened to. Many, many students who come to me for the first time have never been listened to in their life the way I listen Mm. to them. Because as a coach, I don't care whether you want to smoke or not. In a very real sense, I want to understand why you want to smoke. And if you convince me that you want to smoke, I'll help you smoke more. I don't feel like it's my job to judge you. I just want to understand what you want. And so when you say, I enjoy smoking, I'm listening. I'm not going to argue with you. I want to understand why. Tell me why you like smoking. What do you like about it? You know, if someone says they want to vote, I don't argue with that. I just want to understand why. And, and I find that by listening and, and legitimately trying to understand what they want in their life, they feel listened to for the first time many, many times. And they will tell me things they don't tell other people because they feel they can that I'm not going to judge, and they know I love them. And they know that I Mm. love them because I listen. And I understand, and they know I understand because I ask appropriate questions to further clarify not what I want them to say, what they want to say. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Quite poignant. Yeah, the absence of listening is so prevalent today that when you do listen – People respond immediately. It's um, exciting to see that people who've been listened to for the first time, um, how they respond to you too, because they yes. they just like at first it's almost like they're it's almost kind of like I call it um, I refer to it as like when you're talking to like a dog and the dog cocks its head like. Wait a minute. Yeah. You know, like, did I just hear the food dish in the living room or whatever, or in the other room? And it's that puzzled look, you know, because they're at first they're like, because they go to respond and then they're like, wait a minute, this person just repeated back to me what I actually said, and, and then and so because they automatically go to gut response to react the way other people have reacted to them in the past, and then they realize, so wait a minute, no, it's it's they're right or or they're close and so they only have to adjust a little to you know what you've heard and they just light up or or cry or get touched because of that and it's it's quite moving when you learn that skill to be able to do that for someone for the first time well you know another amazing thing that happens to me when I'm on a coaching call is there are a lot of coaching calls where I only listen and I don't give advice. I only ask clarifying questions. And at the end, the student has solved a problem that they've had, and they think I'm smart. Although I can <laughs> listen to the replay of the call and realize I didn't, I didn't, I didn't contribute to the solution. My <laughs> listening, my listening was the catalyst for them solving their own problem and I find that's true more times than not 
that I'm just a vessel. I'm just uh, a mirror. And all I do is listen and reflect love back to them. And, you know, it's so funny. I, I do this and people laugh every time. I will say, why do you think you feel that way? And they will say, I don't know. And I say, well, what would you say if you did know? And they Mm -hmm. always laugh. They always laugh. And then I just wait. And then they answer the question. They do know the answer. It's just nobody waits until they talk. (laughs) Everyone else wants to answer for them. And I refuse. So when they say, well, I don't know why I want that. I go, well, what would you say if you did know? And then they tell me. Well, you know, I think it's this. Well, you think it's that or that's it? No, that's it. That's it. And they always know the answer. I I mean, I could point to notable exceptions, but for the most part, my students come to me. They know what Yeah. Yeah, hopefully everybody listening knows that when we talk in generalizations, we oh, there's always an outlier, you know, <laughs> always. Yeah, yeah. And we welcome the outliers. Um, that's what makes yeah. life exciting is that it, you know, creates opportunities. But for the most part, things uh, tend to follow certain patterns, and and that seems to work. Um, with um, with your ability now to, you know, in incorporate things that scare you every day. Um, my friend, uh, Glenn Morshauer, he's a, a famous actor. Um, Glenn always says, do something every day that no one has ever done before. Um, and, and he told us once of a story about him and a friend who, I don't, I, I might be telling the story wrong, but they, um, put their heads in the freezer and then like dropped raisins or grapes through a hose or something, just something stupid. And, and uh, him, and he likes to do really crazy things. Like he's done auditions where he's put in putting, um, he put pancake syrup in his shoes so that he would, you know, not get into his normal. And um, he said he has a great wife, by the way. I remember him saying his wife went and got the pancake syrup, and she's like, do you want Aunt Jemima or Old Cabin, <laughs> you know, or Log Cabin? You know, so, you know, he, he had a wife who embraced that he was willing to be different on a regular basis. But when we went to um, have our picture taken together, uh, we decided that we wanted to do something that people don't do and have never done before on uh, on a red carpet for a photograph. So we both – put a handful of M&Ms in our mouth and then chewed them and then smiled with colored M&M chocolate slime all over our teeth for our professional photo. So, (laughs) and so, you know, when people, when we're in saying do something different every day, we don't necessarily mean do something that limits you. So not just something that scares you, not just something that's like out of pattern for how you do things, but also incorporate something silly or goofy that you, that other people have never done that pops into your head that as long as it's, you know, safe and uh, as long as it, you know, keeps you from a little embarrassment is good. And as long as it, you know, you still keep your business afterwards, do it. You know, be fun. Um, so I have always done that now. Ever since I met Glenn and heard that, I was always, I'm always inspired to do something goofy with people. And now that I hear you say, um, do something that scares me every day, I want to embrace that. I, I really do want to live outside of the limits that I have put upon myself. So thank you for that gift. 
and I'm not hearing you right now, so the call may have dropped you. Oh, there you are. No, he's back. He's uh, back. I've got a cough today, so I muted myself so I could cough while you were talking. I apologize. Um, Perfect. Well, I'm glad uh, you did. (laughs) I think that's a perfect example of people taking themselves so seriously. Like, we don't have to be lame adults. We can still play. We can still have fun. You know, people hear me talk about my vision. They're like, well, I couldn't live like that. That's just stifling. And I think to myself, I have the most amazing life, the most, I I can be, I don't have to be anywhere to go to work. I have a, I'm geographically free to work from anywhere I want. I, I love my life. And you think it's limiting me? Oh my gosh. My life is fun. You know, uh, adults take themselves way too seriously today. Uh, everything is a, everything has to have drama. Everything has to be, <laughs> I'm like, please, can we just, like you said, I love it. Put him and M's in our mouths. You know, can we not do that once? Can we not, we don't have to always be lame. <laughs> you know, it doesn't, I mean, I don't know what other word to say. It's a, uh, I just feel like, come on, quit taking yourself so seriously. Well, I, it is uh, interesting. Uh, my my husband, I tease him all the time because he has ingrained rules about everything. So it's from the volume of my voice, whether we're outside, we're in a car, we're in our living room, or in a diner. Everywhere I go, my voice has to be a certain volume, and I'm like – Tom, I'm announcing this to the entire restaurant, so I'm going to be the volume I want to be. <laughs> you well, know, and I'm funny. like, it's not, it's not my role. It might be yours, but it's not mine. <laughs> right. Um, people have rules about everything, and I love to just say, "Who told you that?" And they look at me like I'm crazy. Like they're like, "Dude, you're talking too loud." I go, "What do you mean?" They go, "We're in a restaurant." I go, who told you that was a rule? Where did you learn that? Like, what do you mean? Everybody knows it. I go, no, I don't know it. Can you help me? Like, what are we talking about? Because I love those kind of social conventions that I don't want to play with. I don't want to. I didn't agree to that. I didn't agree to that. And I love I, I that. Love that. I love there it too, so and I'm and I'm okay. Yeah, and I'm okay if someone else offers that, and uh, and then I'll look and assess and go, well, is it true? Like, are other people looking at me like I can't even speak or eat? But if like everybody else is going about their business, I'm like, mm, I'm not feeling like the restaurant thinks I'm talking too loud. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, I'm like, funny. no, I'm not doing it. Um, and and it it is funny how you know, but uh, I'm I have a movement called the Keep Smiling Movement with a partner of mine, and we have noticed that uh, when that when people laugh and are silly and when they smile and they're really willing to make dorky faces, that they have they, they two things. <clears throat> we either know them and we know they're very abundant, or we know them and we know that they're not abundant yet, but they're on yes. the pathway to abundance, and it's. And so we've really noticed that being able to let go 
of social norms and be fun really seems to help people live a better life and have more abundance uh, both financially and in relationships. Well, I think you and I discussed this, but I used to, I read a research study about putting a pencil in your mouth. If you put Mm. a pencil in your teeth, if you put a pencil in your teeth, it forces you to smile, right? But if you hold it with your lips, you have to frown. And so this guy said that he could drive people's happiness scores up or down by which way they held the pencil if they held it for a minute. So I used to test it in the room when I was speaking. I would from time to time get people to write their happiness scores. And then I, at some point I would have them either put the pen or pencil in their mouth and I'd have half the room do it one way, half the room do it the other. And I would have them stand while we were doing it. And I would just keep talking. I didn't tell them what I was doing. And then later, you know, a few minutes later, maybe a seconds later, I would ask them to write down their spontaneous happiness indicator uh, and the, the side of the room that frowned almost invariably went down or stayed the same and the side that had the artificial smile went up so to me that says even if the smile is fake your brain it feeds back to your brain it makes you feel better so absolutely the old fake it, it till you make it you know, we know that our brain controls our muscles, but in some ways our muscles feed back to our brain. And so the smile works, whether it's genuine or not. And I find that amazing. That just holding a pencil in your teeth could change the way you feel. That's so, huge. I've mm-hmm. never heard that before, but that makes so much sense. So, Chuck, we've only got a couple minutes left. If our listeners wanted to go find out more about you and figure out how they could work with you, where would they go? Well, they could go to uh, com and just uh, search for Chuck. That would probably be the easiest way. Um, if they wanted to reach out to me, they could send me an email at um, chuck at com. It's... Uh, Spelled like millionaire, only instead of money, we have life at the beginning. So L-I-F-E-O-N-A-I-R-E. I've enjoyed this, ladies. Well, we have as well. And just let our listeners know, please, please, please make sure you go check out lifeinair.com, L-I-F-E-O-N-A-I-R-E. So you can get hooked up with Chuck and find out all the great stuff he's up to. Well, Chuck, it was great meeting you. And if ever I can do anything to serve you or your tribe, please just let Andrea know and we'll get reconnected. I love it. And and by the way, if there's anything I can do to serve you, I would love, love, love you to give me the opportunity to do that as well. I love Uh, that. Thank you so much. And Andrea and I will be back same time, same place next. Actually, we will not. Andrea will be back next week with another wonderful guest. But I will be off doing college fairs because this year I am the volunteer admissions coordinator for South Florida for my alma mater, Notre Dame. So I will be hanging out with some sophomore, junior, and senior high school students 
as well as some college students who are looking at going to Notre Dame next year. But I'll be back in two weeks, and Andrew will be with you next week. So have a fantastic week, everyone, and we'll see you here on Leverage Masters next week. Bye, everybody. Thanks, Chuck. Thank you so much. Tune in next week for another episode of Leverage Masters. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook on our Leverage Blackbook page to keep up with the latest. We'll see you next time on Leverage Masters.